0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul.
1: Hi, I'm Marissa.
0: Hi, I'm Brian Alexander. And we're going to talk about We Can Build You, a 1972 science fiction novel by Philip K. Dick. First published in uh, Amazing Stories. I believe it's uh, the last issue of 1969 and the first issue of 1970 as a two-part serial. And uh, uh, this is a quasi-mainstream novel. What the hell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, Marissa, is this what his mainstream books are like? Because you read some of those, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or There's a though?
1: few, yeah. I read um, Puttering About in a Small Land, um, which is more, like, focused on relationship stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, this felt a little bit different.
0: It's it's not completely mainstream, but it has some mainstream elements. Uh, like, a, like, I find myself going, Jesus Christ, get out of this horrible relationship with this ma- woman who might be a figment of your imagination. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But that's the point of this novel. That's the problem. That's the problem. The joy and the strangeness of it. I mean, I had not read this. I had gone and expecting much more Philip K. Dickey science fiction sort of point of view. And here we get a tangled, uh, bad, um, dysfunctional romance between two Mm -hmm. individuals with just some, a few scientific, science fiction trappings here and there that it's like mm-hmm. this is not what this is not exactly what I ex- expected, and I'm glad this was not my first 12K okay, Dick novel because I thought like, eh, okay, yeah, I'll go. Th- this is the great birthday k Dick. I'll go read something else. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, his wife and Dick mentions in her book that this was, I think, his last attempt at writing a mainstream literary novel, and then at some point he just kind of changed it and put in all the lunar moon stuff and added his <laughs> genre <laughs> science fiction mm-hmm. elements back in. But it's I'm
0: not sure how that. that works with the simulacrum. Yeah, so it's 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 a funny, funny book in in many respects and strange. There's there was a one point where I laughed out loud, um, I think. Oh yeah, but,
1: there are a few it,
0: funny bits. Yeah, there's there's some funny bits, but there's it's a strange book too because it it's it's you remember we did um I guess Brian you weren't there but we did a show on Nick and the Glimmo. Which is oh. his children's book right yeah yeah oh. which is I I quite like a lot um I think it's a great children's book but it's it's no uh, man in the high castle if you know what I mean it's not a uh, profound you know great work held up on the bookshelf beside Moby Dick and uh, I don't know Shakespeare or something like that right it's it's a kids book but right. it forms the foundation for one of his great novels, which is Galactic Pot Healer. Mm -hmm. It it it's sorta he had this failure, right? This this kid's book that didn't sell. And and he just put it in a drawer and said, Oh well yeah. Well you know I really like that Glimmon character. And he sort of reworks it, right? And he takes the the setting and just tells a completely different story and ends up in a completely different place. And uh, people are on the internet and I think I can see why seem to think this is like you can treat it as a prequel to uh, do androids dream of electric sheep
1: right
3: yeah a prequel is
0: the right word though well it's not in the same way that Nick and the Glimmung I mean it's not really even the same planet as, as Plowman's planet even though it's called Plowman's planet things right. are quite different right but he takes this sort of rejected failure which this novel was right it it yeah. was written in 1962 sat in a drawer until uh ted white said hey you got any philip k dick left uh because i got this magazine and i'd like to I'd, I'd love to put some dick in it and uh oh <laughs> that no sounds hilarious <laughs> oh man oh no, well, I, that, that's, we're beyond that, people. We're beyond those jokes. Seriously, <laughs> I'd love to put some Dick in my book. And it, you know, they sent him this. And he's like, oh, well, I'd like to take it. We need to change the title. The title, uh, Dick's first title for it was The First in Our Family, which is, yeah, it's, it's a short story title. It's not a novel title is what yeah. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. And then uh, Ted White changed it to A. Lincoln Simulacrum, which I think is an awesome title Uh um, because it gives you the sense of uh, there's more than one Lincoln Simulacrum, right? Nobody calls him A. Lincoln. They call him Abe. Yeah. Right. Mm. So you got that. And then We Can Build You. um, That actually is a better title for Ted White's last chapter um, than it is for the novel that is in. Inside the pages of We Can Build You, so it's a very strange book.
3: Hmm.
1: Why do you think it's a better title for the last chapter?
0: Well, I think what's what's did you, did you read the last chapter? That um, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, chapter nineteen, the one the I T- tweeted, whiteboard? the bonus chapter. Yeah, written by Ted Wright. <laughs> right. So uh, I think it's a bad chapter because it makes explicit all the things that I think I was thinking about and. And it, I think Phil K. Dick. Uh, I don't know what. I don't think at the time he wrote. At the time he wrote it, he might have been thinking, you know, this is what we're pushing, mm-hmm. right, towards. Uh, but by ni- by 1969, when he sells it to Ted White, he's completely forgotten about it, right? It uh,
3: came yeah. and went.
0: And so he apparently, Ted White said, here's the deal. I want to change the title and I, it needs another chapter. Would you write another chap, uh, final chapter for it? And he says, well, why don't you write it? And to which he says, uh, OK, how about this? I'll give it the new title and I'll write the chapter. But I want you to revise the chapter for me because he wants to make it a Philip K. Dick novel, right? Uh-huh. So he writes it and then he sends it to Philip K. Dick, who changes three words and sends it back. Uh-huh. He just wants the paycheck. Right, he's not into it. He doesn't want to be involved in this change, and so I think that's why that last chapter is. It's a. It's what did what did you say on Twitter, uh, Brian? It was something
4: like um, it was. A, I, hate, a, a, I hated it, and uh, and it was ghostly. I mean, literally ghost. Um, yeah,
0: I, I said he ghosted the the last chapter, and that's why you're saying ghostly is a – Yeah, yeah. It was, it,
4: it's a it's a pale shadow of uh, of normal Phil k dick um mm-hmm. and I mean you know, <clears throat> for me, the ending of it is actually redeems the book. The end is a powerful, tragic dark ending, like some of his um darker short stories or the the truly apocalyptic ending of um Skinner Darkly mm-hmm.
0: and yeah, it was no, really it's a good it's a good ending it's it's a yeah. good ending for a bad book in a certain sense, and then they um, and then. And then this is like a at worst it feels like
4: the um, you know the Hollywood cut ending from Blade Runner. Yeah.
0: But, oh yeah.
2: I was gonna wonder and
4: and it said that, that was um, but should,
2: should it, we spoil should spoil it for readers to make this explicit?
3: Yes.
4: Oh yeah, she, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure I mean the end of uh, chapter eighteen um, you know ends with uh, our hero uh, goes through this Dick novel, experience of uh, hallucinatory experiences, um, and basically ends up separated from Pris and gets out of the institution. Pris ends up deeper in the institution. The two of them are completely separated, at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the Ted White version, it's another Phil K. Dick novel entirely because it turns out that our hero is actually a replicant. I'm sorry, uh, a simulacrum. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh-huh.
4: And, uh, he goes to the moon and he, uh, you know,
3: he
4: <laughs> keeps selling, uh, Penfield mood organs. I'm sorry, the, uh, music machine, uh,
0: well, Penfield's explicitly <laughs> called out in this, right? This, this is why it's so much a dry run. This is exactly what he was thinking. And I, I bet, Oh, when did, when did, uh, draw, do androids dream come out? Uh, late sixties, 68. Me, let me make sure. Yeah. So it's, so it was definitely sitting in his mind and maybe reselling this, um, prompted the the right I, I'm sorry I've interrupted you Brian you're you're saying what a good ending that was for uh for the I thought it was
4: a really powerful ending um, yeah because it uh it's a tragic ending and um and in many ways you know it lets us think about what what are the tragic drivers here what what prevents this from becoming a romantic or positive or catastrophic ending. Uh, and you know, we can think that it has to do with the ter- personalities of these two characters, um, and uh, it can say something as well about the uh, failure of the business that they're in, uh, or that they're two both very psychologically damaged people, and uh, that we shouldn't be granted a kind of cheesy Hollywood ending for them, that they both end up uh, very sad and in pain.
3: Danger
4: mm-hmm. uh, he- I- Sheep is sixty-eight.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. So. The thing here, here, what's interesting to me is that that's not why I don't like the 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 ending is uh, the Ted White ending is that he's just saying what Philip K. Dick is pointing towards the whole thing the the thoughts we're supposed to be doing right. Um, What I loved about Dick so much is when he when he says, "Okay, here's my idea," he undercuts it. And then you're like, wait, wait, no! And you try and hold it up, right? And then it doesn't, it doesn't sort of hold up anymore, and you're left standing there. And he's busy going on to the next, you know, idea that he's, he's constructing with, you know, paper mâché and and, and uh, matchsticks. And then you know, you know, you, you follow along with him with that, and and you end up like putting so much effort into creating the world with him. Like he's so good at that. That what Ted White does, and no, no this is actually what was going on, right? And that's like, uh, that's no, that's no good. I, I love the doubt that he's always seeded.
1: Yeah, that Ted White edition was just a big old like info dump, as they call it, like just explaining uh-huh. everything. But do you think, Jesse, that um, that that last chapter is exactly what Dick was? pointing at it because that's what i wasn't sure about that no,
0: last chapter no but that's one one of the things he was uh, so here's one of the things that like i was pointing to in my own mind i had my own theory and it would not be completely dissimilar from whites in you know what's going on um one of the things that's going on is like remember the dad character right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. my dad he always calls him my dad my dad um he's a a jew he's uh He's a quasi businessman, right? He's a wise man. He respects him. And then there's this brother, and then his like his brother's sort of like a char- a cartoon character in a certain upside sense. down face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, 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 that the, that was one of the things. Like, what does that mean exactly, right? Like he he put his mask on wrong, right? <laughs> he walked into the room with his mask uh, not fully placed, and, right. Um, and he shows up in strange ways the the brother and so uh, when ted white makes his declaration oh your entire family is a construct right and that you're i mean that's that's actually explicitly in do androids dream of electric sheep right Uh except in physical construction they're memory implants just like lincoln gets and stanton gets and the booth gets right so we got all these threads that are (laughs) unwoven and of course we get that nice line at the final chapter of dick's novel not the ted white final chapter where the wife is taking virgin uh wool and Mm, not the wife (laughs) i call her the wife but she is in a sense the wife i guess is making uh a new new material out of virgin wool nothing's Nothing's fake. And yet, let me, let me read it. Let me, let, me, let me read it. Yeah, go for it. Pris Frallin's,
4: uh somewhere inside the great buildings of Kassanen Clinic, Pris Frallin Zimmer sat carding and weaving virgin black sheep's wool, utterly uninvolved, sorry, utterly involved without a thought for me or for any other thing. Mm. What a beautiful sentence. Oh, mm. He's
0: really good at endings. He's, he's very, very good at them.
4: Except for Castle. So, Castle, yeah.
0: Ah, uh, I don't remember the ending of *Man in the High Castle* that way. Well. That's why. So maybe right. Yeah. <laughs> but this is this
4: is beautiful. I mean, you get that that sense of her being lost in the giant buildings, um, mm-hmm. and it's black sheep because the two of them clearly are black sheep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, okay. you know, if uh, and without thought for me or any other thing, I mean, I think this is why the brother has a messed up face is because he's uh, damaged, um, and it's important that. That that points to our protagonist being damaged as well.
0: I did, I just noticed it now. It's it, it's a sheep, right? Do androids okay. dream of electric sheep? This oh. is oh. the background material, I think. For, yeah. and that's why. So that's why that book is so good. The reason the Galactic Pod Healer kicks ass so hard is because it is uh, it is its its it has got Nick and the Glimmung as its sim to its. Uh, I, like, great, I like that right? phrase. Yeah, it totally. It, 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 he is the only exception I found to this is his Man in the High Castle*, which, you know, it is a great book. But I don't think any of his stuff that's really great has a um, has nothing behind it. It always has something behind it, right? It's oh like sure, it, like
4: like the *Divine Quartet*, right? Yeah, uh, you know that's uh, what *Valis*, um, uh, *Divine Invasion*. Uh, Timothy Archer and the fourth book. Um, you know, they're, they're basically tryouts, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he's. Um, I, I got to say, I read this first when I was about 22 or so. And, and Paul, I had a very similar reaction. I, I was really disappointed and surprised. Um, I read this uh, around the same time I read Martian Time Slip, and I was looking forward to some more fun robots stuff. And, um, mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: and the, the end, really surprised me. It just kind of swerved over to one side and, um, and rereading it over this weekend, I was really much more impressed by it. Um, I was struck by the, uh, the final swerve is basically the last kind of chapter and a half. And it's really built up because the business partner keeps saying, are you all right? You don't sound good. And, mm-hmm. uh, there's a great, <laughs> I gotta find this. There's this part. Pod- there's this part where they're having a conversation over dinner and, uh, uh, the business partner says, Hey, do you know anybody who's gone into institutions? He's like, well, yes, I do. And it's like a page long description. There's this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. And And you're like, in the next sentence, more like, yeah, we should just go. I mean, so you get, you get the sense of, of, uh, of, of his, of his disability, of his mental problems. Um, really, struck by uh, for me although this comes out in 72 this feels like early phil dick because of the emphasis on small business uh, i mm-hmm. totally forgot the, the the really excellent i thought um business machinations and having barrows show up and they're negotiating and lincoln takes them aside and all sells them, them for a dollar and do this and, the, and i yeah. had, that would be of like um uh what's the uh what's the novel where they're all um in a series of realities formed by the um
0: the bevatron novel bevatron. uh yeah. high, in the sky. high in the sky
4: yeah it reminds me of that in that sense of a like, real practical wheeling and dealing um and uh and i really i i for me i was also surprised that the lincoln simulacrum didn't matter very much i mean yeah he's, he's it, it, built it, it, yeah. up
2: and uh, the stanton novel the stanton one is the more uh, active and more, more useful yeah. one i, I, yeah. I would um, yeah, as i was as i was reading this, I was thinking of the Stanton versus Lincoln. I was thinking of the non-fiction book, Team of Rivals. And oh, how, yes. how Philip K. Dick would have clearly liked to have read that book because clearly, clearly at this so, somewhere in the, in the 50s or 60s Philip K. Dick was reading about this, the Civil War and Lincoln's cabinet and got fascinated by Stanton.
0: And, and seeing but, himself in, in Lincoln's mental problems.
2: Yeah, so like I mean, while Lincoln is the the face of this novel in some ways, because a Lincoln Simulacrum, he's the bigger name in some ways. This is really more how useful Stanton is. I mean, I that last stupid chapter does talk more about Lincoln than Stanton, but I I'm thinking I'm gonna just probably think that that last chapter just does not exist. It's 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 a little <laughs> paper unicorn, and I can forget about it.
0: Yeah, no, I I can. <laughs> I totally see why Dick dissed it so hard as he did Um, there. I I think I sent you guys this, his response or no, it was Ted White's response on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you know, over time people, yeah, some, uh, I think whoever wrote that was, you know, saying he's playing to the audience, the interviewer. Right. And so Dick is pretty hard on, on Ted White. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing is, is, He's Ted White's not wrong to introduce explicit stuff that's there, but it's not, shouldn't be written in the book. It should be in a podcast, right? Like, here's my theory as to what's going on, right. which is a perfectly good theory, right? It's a perfectly good theory. It fits the facts generally. Um, I, I had a, I had a theory that Pris was for a long time in the novel. She was not real. She Me was too. a fan of his. Yeah, his
2: I had the idea too.
0: Why is it? Well, uh, a number of reasons. Uh, She interacts almost exclusively with um, with him, and then that scene where he's lying on the bed, she's in the room, and no one else can see her. Um, Oh,
4: that was heartbreaking. Oh my
0: god! Right. Uh, This is uh, this is uh, the other thing that kind of makes this book kind of uncomfortable is again, it's all his own life. It's got to be, right? This oh, is... God, yes, here we go again, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, Marissa, you, did you read Anne Dick's biography of...
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I pulled it out, especially for this one, because there's just so many things.
0: Wow. Yeah, so just... I, I want to point out, before you, you start telling us stuff about it, I saw online, I have not found the link since I looked for it, but that the tiling scene in the bathroom? That's, <laughs> uh, that's a real bathroom. Mm-hmm. And those tiles what? actually exist on the wall of Dick's house with where uh, and Dick light up did all that tiling. And there there are a couple sort of grainy photos showing uh, what it looks like. Do you believe that?
2: That's very strange. That's very dicky into that there's actually pictures of the tiles that came from the novel that they were doing at the time. That's that is very much a mind square.
0: It's it's like she Pris and, and Dick are the same person in a in a large sense, I think. But
4: I, I I'm not sure I, I I can respect that, especially given that you are all experienced dickheads uh, and you know, you know what to expect from uh, from these stories. But I was I one of the things that surprised me about this novel was its strong Freudian framing, and I guess maybe oh, yeah. maybe I'm channeling Eric Rabkin, but um, usually I think of uh, Dick in Jungian terms because he was a big fan of Jung and brings up in the starts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we clearly get uh, family constructs. We get the uh, um, Louis Rosen's father, who is a, a major issue, and always talks about his son in, term, you know, in German. Mein Son, Kinder, um, right. mm-hmm. Son, my child, um, and that's. And white ending was did you catch the bit where he says, "Oh by the way your father died and uh, yeah. it was just like oh yeah. yeah of course I expected that I'm like what no, no 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 that's that's totally wrong but that's that's you know one of the reasons why that that final that scene of of Rosen imagining having sex with Pris a, and love I mean it, it was it was it, what he imagines is her loving and accepting him mm-hmm. and not just physically but but emotionally um, in the same room as his father lying on the bed. this is a nice Freudian scene. Yeah. So so I think having Pris being Maury's daughter um, makes lots of sense. That's one of the nice psychological relationship tensions of the book is... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and it's a ticking thing. It's it's delicately underplayed, and you don't get it until chapter 16 or 17 when Maury's finally like, get away from my daughter! How dare you? She's a child! Yeah. Um, So I... She seemed... Pretty real to me, and not just as the what's the delusion called the magna
0: mater delusion that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's the same one that's in uh, uh, the rats in the walls as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Norris, I, I, I'll I, eat you. I I got to tell you, like the more I, I love both Lovecraft and uh, Dick, and w- one of the things that is so great is thinking like. Sure, uh, Lovecraft is a racist and he's, um, you know, he's kind of way too patriotic and he's got all sorts of things that I don't like about him. But Philip Kiddick is fucking dangerous. I don't want to hang out with him. I'd much <laughs> rather hang out with Lovecraft. I mean, Dick, in this story, he, he gets a gun and he goes to <laughs> basically assassinate some guy yeah. because he stole his girlfriend. And I'm telling you, I think a lot of this is not delusion, right? I, I believe there is one interview or something where it talks about him talking about getting a gun and, and he actually had a gun and he was thinking about doing stuff. And, it's like, that is that is the crazy stuff that, like, this guy's not, he's not, um, you know, I, I guess there was, I think I sent Paul and Marissa, there was a story about when Philip K. Dick stayed with us. Uh, In Vancouver, when he was in Vancouver, and he was basically hitting on a guy's wife while he's living in their house. Oh, dear. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. It was, like, so uncomfortable. And it's like, dude, this is the, you know, we shouldn't judge a person by their lowest point in their life, right? You know, the worst Mm -hmm. things they do. But, fuck, that's bad shit. Yeah. Lovecraft never would descend to that. Sure, (laughs) he'd think you're, you know, a mongrel or something. But and that you're degenerating, but uh, they both deal with you know psychological or psychiatric problems in completely different ways. Uh And um, and this is so deep into so the the I mean this whole uh, what little of the science fiction of this this book has right this society is completely fucked. One in one in nine people is in an institution somewhere. Uh-huh. At some point, right? Everybody's insane at some point. Yeah. In this world, it, I
2: mean, it, it just, it's just 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 like it's a whole government arm to deal with people who have had these psychological problems. I mean, it's so prevalent. It kind kind of reminds me of uh, a Scanner Darkly, which you know we mentioned uh-huh. before. But it's not like, like how many people, such a large percentage of people are addicts in that book and increasing all the time. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sick society just a different way than in this book. But yeah, this is, it's like everyone's going to, what, I mean, it's like the pressure cookers on. So let's have moon collieries, but no one's going there. So let's build some more locker room to, yeah. to, bring people to the, to those colonies. And which I, again, of course we get the whole stuff in the blade in Blade Runner about, you know, mm-hmm. replicants that being an incentive to, my off planet.
4: Also, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a little echo to uh, Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch*, where uh, mm-hmm. the uh, off planet settlers use um, simulated reality in order to stay sane.
0: Isn't it *Solar Lottery*? One of, is that his first novel? Um, the, it's set on the moon with a simulated man. As the, he's actually on the cover of the novel as well, the Ace Double, um, oh. and he's like he's standing on the surface of the moon without a helmet. Right, yeah, without yeah. a spacesuit, right?
3: And it's like covers. that's a weird oh, cover. Yeah.
0: And I like did did they paint the cover and then and then have the novel written for it? And I'm like mm, not sure because uh, that scene isn't entirely necessary for the novel, but it it, <laughs> it sort of haunted Dick, I think, because that's what's going on. The description of you know why you would you want to live on the moon? There's nothing there, right? There's no air. There's no there's no people, there's no services, but um, our uh, Barrow's character, he's he's what is he? Elon Musk of this world. He's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's uh, living in Seattle, so maybe he's uh, Bill Gates or something like that. Well, this is a pretty popular yeah.
4: character for Dick, the uh, the magnate, the industrialist, the mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. richest one. Um, and and in part he's drawing on the uh, highland, um, and you yeah, know. Mm-hmm many characters in the american Who
0: gets a shout out in the dedication yeah yeah oh, really yeah this not i mean so the novel doesn't come out until 72 right as a as a paper novel um to it says to robert and Ginny heinlein whose kindness to uh-huh. us meant more than ordinary words can answer i think this isn't the first time that he's Giving them a shout out and a dedication. Right, because, um, they, because they help financially help him out and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. They,
2: they're. I mean, just, just for just completely different writers philosophically and on a textual level, but yeah, they have this strange connection. Yeah, I, I believe um, uh, Heinlein gave him some
4: money.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> well,
4: that would be a, a great expression of affection for Heinlein, wouldn't it?
0: It, it it would be um, line, but yes. You know, he also doesn't ask to give it. You know, he, he wouldn't expect anything from it. Uh, yeah, this is. I, uh, I wonder
4: if we have uh, edition issues here because I'm looking at the uh, doll paperback. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and a dedication here is for Kathy Demwell, my best Ooh. friend. Mea valutas, mea delicia, mea vita, mea omenitas. Which uh, mm. I quickly translate as My pleasure delight My uh, delicious one Or my darling My life And my wow. uh, Ammonitists uh, Hang on the, uh, Tropism My attraction Something like that
1: mm. wow, What year is that copy?
4: Uh,
0: 72 yeah. So the one I, I just sent you guys um, In addition I sent you the, I found the link for the uh, The We Can Build You um, on uh, Total Dickhead blog, which has the pictures of the bathroom. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: um, The Mm -hmm. tiled bathroom. Um, uh, On the sickmindduck.nayrod.ru website, they have the complete text and uh, it has the 1972 copyright and... to G- Robert and Jenny Heinlein. Oh so yeah, there are definitely different versions. Yeah, because uh, I
1: have a door version as well, and it's a seventy-two one, but it's got the Heinlein dedication. Weird.
0: Out. Yeah, both same same volume. Well, yeah, I but different
1: cover art. There's two door versions. Yeah,
0: that's interesting.
4: Mine has this uh, mysterious naked bald man that is half an android and half red skin.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> that's on the Wikipedia entry, I believe. Yeah, uh-huh. that's huh. right. Mm-hmm. That's the first edition. Interesting.
4: Okay. It says
0: on the Wikipedia.
4: I used to be kind of obsessive about collecting, stuff. Uh, okay, um,
0: yeah, I was very jealous when I saw Marissa's uh, Instagram of, of she's got a co- paperback copy. Did you read the paperback rather than listen to the audiobook?
1: Um, I did both. Okay. I kind of flipped them between them.
0: Mhm. Uh, All you listened, right? I
2: I listened and I also perused the the ebook which I had and the, the the ebook i just checked my ebook copy is has the the Heinlein dedication
0: okay.
2: so so it's taking yeah it doesn't have the ted white chapter so
0: that's interesting um you know th- there there's a number of things that i, I want to point out about this book over time but i don't want to dominate our our whole time um but I, what i w- i do want to say is um that the narrator uh, has to do priss's voice for a lot of the book and having a, a male narrator who's not great at falsetto, I don't know if that adds or detracts, but it certainly had an effect on my reading of, of the book. I mean, it might have enhanced the idea. Maybe you you think this too, Paul, since you listened and, yeah. and Marissa. Um, that she wasn't real? That Yeah, that she wasn't real, that she was a figment of... The, and especially, this is the other weird thing we haven't mentioned, and I want to ask Marissa um if it's true for his other mainstreams is this is this is i i really didn't like this book at first and there are things i like about it and, but one of the reasons i didn't like it is because it's told in first person and hmm. that is not normal for philip k dick
1: that was really that. interesting
0: he does he does do that it's very rare but normally he has what i kind of think of as like a telepathic third person, right? So that we're inside the heads of whoever's nearby. Yeah. They're never yeah. an omniscient third person because that sort of defeats the whole purpose of what Philip K. Dick's all about, right? Which is reality yeah. is not, uh, that's actually, is that in the final chapter or the second final chapter where he talks about being a point of view? Right. That's
1: in the final chapter, I think. Yeah, so that's Ted White
0: making explicit <laughs> what, explaining what Kate, things for her. What is actually doing, right? Yeah. Well, he's saying, here's my theory.
1: But thats you're Sorry. right. That is how you write. It's all about point of views and how all these different people will see the same story from their own perspectives.
0: Right. Either they're looking at themselves from outside their body, or he's looking at a woman, and that's his perception of what she's looking at, Mhm. Right? It's very rare that we, you know, we might start off looking at the sky and seeing all the the silver fish flying through the sky. Mm -hmm. But it's very rare for us to see it from anything other than a a perspective. Yeah. A a character's perspective. And that is, of course, fundamental to what Philip K. Dick does. Now, in this book, because it's all from one perspective, um, everything's up for grabs in a different way. But having a single narrator do everybody's voices and being bad at one of the major ones, mm-hmm. in the sense that he's not great at convincing me he's a woman, <laughs> um, it does lend itself maybe well to this book. It I don't know. I don't know uh, if that effect. Did you, you feel that, Paul, at all? It, 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 the uh,
2: the the point of view is a, is a good point. I, I mean, it makes this novel more intimate in some ways and it hides, it hides what's going on inside oh, of yeah. his head for the longest time. And I mean, it's not really, I didn't really get it till just before he decides to get to institutionalize and go through all those things. Like, and then the light bulb kind of clicked on. I was like, okay, because he's just, he's clueless about himself in so many ways that since we don't have somebody out, el- somebody else's point of view to see him, it, it's like Phil Cadix is playing this game. Like how can, how can I hide this character's psychological problems from yeah, myself yeah. and the, from himself, the reader and everyone else for as long as possible till, till the dam breaks. And he does manage that in event until that last chapter and a half where, yeah, it's like we go sliding down through the, the endless iterations of him trying to deal, deal with, uh, deal with his relationship with Chris and that ultimately and tragically failing, which makes me even more annoyed again about that last final chapter mm. yet again, which undercuts that, as Brian said, that, that, that dark scanner, scanner, darkly kind of ending. It, it, it just, it just like Ted's like to say the heck with that. I'm going to write this my own way. And,
0: uh, I will fix, I will fix this novel. Not even end this <laughs> novel. I will fix this novel and that's well, it was unsalable, right? So, I mean, in a certain sense, he did do it, right? It, it, he couldn't sell that book for almost ten years. I, 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 think what what the problem really is is it's like us tacking this on to the end of the book and saying, "Here's what you should think about the book," right? And that when you take it, when you get outside of Philip K. Dick's point of his head, Dang. you're making explicit all that stuff. Uh, I think it's a, it it's an interesting ending, but it's not, it's not, it's way too pat, right? It tells us too much. Yeah. Which
4: one? The Ted White one or the...
0: the yeah, the Ted White, right? Whereas the, the Dick leaves us all like saying, okay, what, what's, what really happened? What, is this, did she even exist? Um, is there a, uh, is there a business? <laughs> um, what there yeah. is a story... There is a story um, that is incredibly like this in, in a very interesting way and it's one it's I think it's my favorite short story by Philip k dick I'm, I don't usually talk about it which I think we should do a show on it sometime uh, it's called the electric ant yes and, we've, we've mentioned this bef- we've mentioned it before on the show okay yeah I don't like I don't obsess over it like maybe I should because it is a terrific story but this one is very much tied into it remember that great scene where Rachel is talking about uh, Rachel. I called her Rachel. <laughs> <Chris>. <laughs> Rachel Rosen, right? They're all tied up. Yeah, they're, they're all the same. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> together. Um, where Chris is talking about um, how they kill ants and they, you get a bucket and you put it, a, a bucket full of sand, and you put right. it over the anthill. Right. And they fill up their own thing. And that was like, really, oh, that's horrible, right? She yeah. He says, oh, so
2: yeah, and then, casual cruelty did,
0: of that. Did you catch. About uh, I don't know five or six chapters later, she, he's he's in a room with her or something, and they just had a great moment together. Um, and then she says, "Yep," and we can see feel the sand pouring in. And right. she says, "Stare the electric ants, right?" Yeah. Did you notice as
1: well that that particular scene? It's the only time that you see her having empathy for another yep. living creature as well. Like she actually feels in that scene. But she's completely heartless and indifferent in every other scene. It's true. Maybe she's just thinking about her own existence and life.
0: <laughs> well, uh, that's the android, right? The, she's, she's not human, right? She, she's inhuman. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have any empathy. She's she's a monster. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's it's what's going on world. in their relationship? Did, did you also... I'm a kind of person. Did you uh, catch
2: the... Um, the precursor to the uh, boy test in this novel
3: yeah
2: we have, oh yeah yeah the mm. uh, the Kowski loria block test and they yeah it's like yeah you hear proverbs and you tell us what they mean it's it's like it's like clearly Dick stick to recycle this for uh for uh, androids dream of electric sheep and just rename it and just change it slightly but the, okay the yeah. difference is
0: uh, yeah Well, maybe Brian you're going to point out the difference is these are these are real
4: Oh really? Uh, Luria okay. is,
0: uh,
4: is it? Yeah, I did not Russian, know that. Uh, yeah, and oh. uh, Vygotsky is uh, one of the great educational thinkers of the 20th century. Um, he's the uh, uh, early you know, 1920s, 1930s uh, in the Soviet Union, but he's uh, responsible for all kinds of great ideas of his own approximate development. Uh, he's kind of like the founding thinker of constructivist pedagogy.
0: Oh, okay, so here, here's the thing uh, where I started thinking, okay, I'm going crazy because he's going crazy i'm going crazy reading this book um the answer to the question what does this proverb mean um a rolling stone gra- gathers no moss um apparently it's not what i think it means apparently it has uh, the opposite meaning uh, or am i crazy is this what is the meaning of this phrase a rolling stone gathers no moss Because in the book, the answer is, um, if you don't hold still, you can't gather good things. Which makes no sense to me because that's the opposite. Moss isn't a good thing, right? Uh, it's, if you keep moving, um, you will not get old or you're, you're, you'll stay fresh.
1: Yeah. I can't remember that part in the book. So he says, he says the opposite to
0: start yeah. with. Well, what, what, well, he, what, said, yeah, why well, he says my, my interpretation. He says the, yeah, like the like – And then what the doctor think. says, oh, you failed.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's just like, yep. Okay. A rolling stone gathers no moss. Try as I might, I could not remember the meaning. At last I hazard – well, it means a person who's always active and never pauses to reflect. No, that didn't sound right. I tried again. That means a man who's always active and keeps growing in the mental and moral stature won't grow stale. He was yeah. looking at me more intently, so I acted by way of clarification. I mean, a man who's active and doesn't let grass grow on his feet, he'll get ahead in life. And then he goes to that, and it's like, yes, I'm afraid so. Generally the generally accepted meaning of the proverb is the opposite of what you've given. And it's generally taken it to mean that a person who, you don't have to tell me I broke in. I remember. A person who's unstable will never acquire anything of value. That's not the way uh, I ever yeah. <laughs> understood this proverb, ever! Like, a rolling stone gathers no moss. I always thought it was a p- positive thing. It's like, yeah. Yeah, if you're always active and doing stuff, you're not going to get stale and stupid. Right. So, right.
1: It's so so,
0: interesting.
4: A little glimpse of dystopia
2: there.
0: I, and it's like we're all failing this past. We all need yeah. to go to the clinic, <laughs> right?
2: No hiking to... in, Austra- in, in Australia and New Zealand for me because I, would gather, I need to gather moss. Wait, yeah. what?
1: Well, that's so interesting other... because I, I think this really? whole book is about him. He's examining his own his own personality, right? Like this is Philip yep. K. Dick. Louis is Philip K. Dick. Yep. Um, and, and Dick in her book says that as well, that he's writing about himself. And also that she also says that Abe Lincoln is also him, which I think yep. the character even says it at one point, like we're, you know, it's yep. so similar. So that's interesting. If he's mm. putting that in there with, with the correct interpretation and then the society is
0: like, no, 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 you're
1: wrong. <laughs> Like what's he saying about so his own personal?
0: Well, totally, it's totally right. That this is uh, this is um, you know, you watch enough Jimmy Dore, I, uh, Marissa, you know what I'm talking about. You start to think, okay, now I it's 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 addictive. Jimmy Dore show is addictive because it's it's like uh, oxygen in a non-oxygen environment, right? The news is telling you lies all day long, and they anybody comes on and says, well, well, that might not be strictly speaking true. They're like. You're insane. You're crazy. You're a weirdo. Nobody can trust you. You should be Mm -hmm. in a clinic, right? And and so if you live in Crazy Town, (laughs) everybody's crazy, then you're crazy too. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're the only only sane one, um, because you know you're like okay, well let's look at what actually happened and see if there's a connection between. um, That's crazy right that's that's not this idea of gaslighting that i mean it's so weird that it's so big now but that's a lot of what goes on in sort of unhealthy you know relationships between crazy people Mm -hmm. they say this is how things are you're remembering wrong that's not what i said right and there's because we don't have a, a sort of a ticker tape and a recorder that we can go back to and instantly call back what was going on. We say, oh yeah, maybe maybe I am remembering wrong. Maybe this person with a strong personality who runs the government today right. is uh, really right.
4: So will that change when we uh, you know when we have excellent recording of all of ourselves, like uh, that great great dark episode of Black Mirror?
0: yes <laughs> exactly right so uh, that and that goes to how ted white remembers uh their interactions and how philip k dick remembers their interactions um it sounds to me like you know it's mostly philip k dick is getting it wrong because he's telling the same story over and over again and it emphasize right the more you think about a memory the more you rewrite it right yep. yeah and and, and that's A problem because we write rewrite it to put ourselves in a positive light generally Mm -hmm. And that often is by stepping on other people who were in the story Um,
4: So I've been having this interesting experience on Facebook where uh, mm -hmm. Facebook will every so often remind me of something that happened One two three or four years ago on this date Wow And the way it does it is it by it, it flags a photo and because it's Facebook, I, I have no idea what the logic is for this. And um, sometimes it's it's pretty benign. Sometimes it's actually quite moving. And uh, and they do it privately. So you know, you you're, you're given this photo, this memory, and you have the option to share it on your wall if you want uh, or not to. And it, it, I find it curious. It's like Facebook is has automated a story about me,
0: mm. um,
4: and uh, I don't know its logic i 'm um, curious it 's
0: proprietary try- you 're not allowed to know exactly now now
4: Facebook, uh, Google plus does something similar or Google photos where they will every so often just uh, grab a bunch of your photos and turn them into a movie um, which is really interesting uh and it 's impressive for for an AI achievement but it gives me a little glimpse of this you know what would it be like just to be able to have this perfect recall one could say total recall um uh, you know of, of, <laughs> of your daily life. Not of, not of like, formal publications or, of, you know, public appearances, but just a, you know, a photo of me driving a car or you know, me lounging with a cat.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Hmm. And yeah, I like the universe gets more and more Phil Dickian every day.
2: But, but even, but even photos aren't in the end reality. I mean, I'm, I may yeah. not professional photographer. I can tell you a, a photo is a still image of something, but it's just a still single point of view image. It's not. And if you do something weird, like say something like say a macro lens, where you're seeing something where you can't see with uh-huh. the human eye or seeing something wider than the human eye, that again is not exactly what you're seeing on that particular time. Because you're not, I mean, even, even a lens that's exactly the human eye isn't capturing the, the subtleties of that moment. It's not capturing the emotions you felt when I took that image. It's just, but that's that's coming
1: <laughs> the neural, yeah. was it the neural lace and
2: <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe, but but right now it's it's just a it's as artificial as a memory in some ways. It's not superior. It's just a version of the past reality. Yeah, but what's
4: so, so it does have the advantage of being uh, from a third person, um, and so it's more yeah, trustworthy than the yeah. reflection.
0: Well, that that's what I, what I want to point out is that whenever I look at photos. The thing I never think about is who's taking the photos, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a scene that's been captured, but it's not the person, right? So uh, most of the time when I take a photo, I'm, I don't, like, set it and then run and get in front of the camera. Right?
3: Yeah, are selfie guy. are taking the
0: photo, right? Well, but more importantly, I'm not becoming a part of the scene. But by taking that photo, um, I'm capturing a memory of what I was seeing, yep. but I'm taking myself out of it. In a certain sense. And what is really preserved is um, my memories of how I rem- remember what was in that frame. And that actually erases uh, my perception of me being in that room and sort of the self reflective, like, I'm a part of this community in a, it, it's very, because it's so concrete, because a photograph is so powerful in that it overwrites what, you know, you say, I thought I was wearing a different shirt then. I didn't know I had that shirt or whatever it is, right? You're suddenly um, confronted with a fact that is unassailable. And that's why, you know, Photoshopped images are such a big threat, even though they don't seem to actually have that consequence for us. They feel like a big threat because they are so visually, they're evidence. This is what happened, Right. And so when uh, they try to justify the uh, Iraq war in the first case, right, they show you the photos of the these these things are silos, just like they did in, the, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh. These things are are missiles. Right. And then, oh, no, those aluminum tubes, they're not for what you think they are. So and now in the new wars. Right. <laughs> no, we can't go back and look at those memories anymore. We don't just, you know, the news covers it sort of only from one angle, which is, look at those beautiful rockets heading off of the ship. You never see them landing, right? Those beautiful tomahawk missiles taking off, right? Oh, they're so gorgeous, flying up into the sky. (laughs) I wonder where they go. I guess we'll never know. (laughs) There's there's this sense that uh, in capturing an image, right, that's what's wrong with the Ted White thing, is he's saying, no, this is exactly what it is, whereas... When Dick's writing the book, there isn't. There's almost never any images, right? Right. There's, that's what's so cool about Dick is he's almost completely about feeling, and names, mm-hmm. by little jokes, but when and he, dialogue.
1: Yeah, when he does throw an image in there, it's always really kind of startling and beautiful. Like, yep, um,
3: exactly.
1: Even like what you're just saying right now reminds me of that scene where he, that he pulls over on the side of the coast and watches one of the big lunar ships or. Planetary ships mm-hmm. coming in to land in the desert. Yep. Do you remember that scene? And it's, like, right yeah. after he um, he hits two little yellow finches that get, like, mashed up in the grill of his car. And then he pulls over and oh, watches yeah.
0: this yeah.
1: ship coming down. And I was like, wow, that's so beautiful and weird.
0: Yeah, but uh, then that, that, the going with that finches, he takes, he gets a tissue, yeah. takes them out of the grill and throws them into the ditch, which is filled with beer bottles and yeah. horrible, yeah. like, junky stuff and, like, that is that. It's the what's the kipple? Kipple. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Really right. Everything. Right. And he also. That's see, why
4: this. If he sees, it, if I'm right, he he looked, so. I mean, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. scene. Um, and then he ends where he say, doesn't he? Um, he waves like a child. Uh, yes. at it? And uh, but he can't. It it's there's no connection to it. He can't uh, go with them. It's leaving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's stuck. That's
3: right. Yeah, this is a, such
4: a, a profoundly sad, sad book, mm. and that's one. I mean, it has humor. Like my favorite laugh-out-loud moment is when he's being inducted into the, uh, being led by the Hitler Youth. I'm sorry, the uh, the kids <laughs> into the um, into the clinic, and um, and he's trying to describe what happened to him, and uh, his his language gets a little fouled up, and he says, um, "You know what it's like." Uh, in front of my father and brother, I had intercourse. With the girl who didn't exist except in my mind. I heard people commenting about us while we were doing it through <laughs> the door. Ralph asked, you did it through the door.
2: Oh, he. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. And just a little, a little. I mean, that's 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 pretty brave because that was a a very powerful, powerful emotional scene. A, a classic Philip K. Dick of you know twisted reality, um, blended realities. And then just to mm, oh, you know, make fun of it. Uh, that's yeah. It was nice. That reminds
1: me of the um, the sex scene that he wrote as well, which is really interesting because it's so there's no passion in it. He wrote that that sex scene yep. with Chris where it's just she's completely
0: yeah.
1: calculating and cool, and she's telling like she's describing to him all the things that he's allowed to do to her, and he says yeah. that this funny line like all of this is very educational but not illuminating. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so good, it's like one of the funniest sex scenes I've read, I think. <laughs>
0: He's very he's very subtle with his sex scenes. Yeah, he's very he's a very funny guy. Um, I wanna I wanna tell you the names of the two stories, the short stories that um, they're kind of similar to this. In the <laughs> I guess everything of his is sort of blends together in certain ways or fixed together in certain ways. There there's two. He didn't write series, you know. Like there's an, uh there are a couple of exceptions, but he did have a, a tiny series of two. Uh, short stories. Um, it's called the on um, ISFDB. It's the Doctor Rupert Labyrinth series, and there's two short stories. One is the Preserving Machine from 1950 Yeah, it's a great story. And the Short Happy Life of the Brown Oxford from 1954, which is kind of like this story a little bit. So the Preserving Machine is ter- is a terrific story. Um, I once told on the podcast about how I assi- gave it as a homework assignment to oh, my students. Uh-huh. That made me really happy. It didn't result in great assignments from the students. Uh, no, their, their work, but the idea behind that is it's a uh, to preserve uh, music from the nuclear apocalypse that is coming any day now. <laughs> um, he, he needs to uh, invent a machine. Doctor Rupert Labyrinth invents a machine that. You input sheet music, and out comes an animal that represents that music. Um, so if you put oh, in Wagner, you'll get like a very self-important beast <laughs> uh, with sharp claws, right? And you put in uh, some other musician, um, it gives you a li- little fluffy light bird that's very... What's well, what's right? That's Mozart, and Sorry. then uh, Bach. Mozart. That's
4: Mozart, right? And then, uh, and Bach immediately uh, gets to work making stuff, and also making children. And there is like a
0: whole stack of them. <laughs> uh, it's pretty, it's pretty great. And then the short happy life of the Brown Oxford. He, he invents a machine that, um, that anything you put in it becomes alive. So he puts in like uh, a pair of shoes, and. They uh, they're out in the sun too long or whatever. Uh, it's in a Dutch oven, which I don't understand why he's doing it oh, that. Way. Okay, but right. So he puts it in this uh, the shoes in the machine, and out they come, and they're alive, and it you know they run off into the bushes and live their lives together. It's like it's just a beautiful, cute little story. Both are told very similarly to this one. The main character is not the scientist. He is the guy sort of reacting to the situation. My friend Doctor Labyrinth, or Doc Labyrinth, right? Who is uh, I don't know, Borges or some some crazy yeah. uh, <laughs> scientist, right? Um, who's always inventing crazy machines. And the the straight man, the Louis sort of character, is Philip K. Dick, just sort of reacting to the weirdness around him and telling the story. And they're both very cute, but they're surprisingly so different. Like, it just doesn't have that telepathic style. I guess that's why this book works in that first-person perspective, but they're very unusual for Dick stories, in that they, they're a series and they have this distance, um, only from one perspective. A lot of the time when we read a Philip K. Dick novel, the, the protagonist is, or the, the main character is very... um sort of not active. He's reactive, right? Mm -hmm. He only follows along. He sometimes gets urges, but the girl will often lead him on a string. Yeah. Which happens here, right?
1: Yeah, I think as well in this one, um, I feel like his character, he's talking a lot about... um, obviously himself and how it's going back to that thing that he talks about sometimes where the mentally ill people are like the more real or the more human.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And um, he talks about this in some of his essays. And I think in this book where that reacting is like an emotional reaction. And I think that's why he's showing that Pris, you know, even though she's a real human being is the, the least real of them in the story because she doesn't have that emotional reaction. And he's sort of saying himself is the more reactive and angry and grieving person is the more real. Mm -hmm. Does that sort of tie into that? Like where they sort of react emotionally, but not so much as like, you know, driving the plot action.
0: Yep. I I can think of, uh, there was one we did not that long ago where the, He and his teenage girlfriend try to have sex at the park. Uh (laughs) And it's like, yeah, she's driving the plot. She's driving the car, right? Everything's um, er him following the girl. Uh, On uh, one of the blogs, the Philip K. Dick blogs, you know, the fan blogs, Uh um, they talk about Chris as the dark-haired girl. And this fits very much into the Freudian uh, analysis, too, uh, Brian. Mm-hmm. With um his you know dead twin sister, mm-hmm. uh, who is said to have dark hair, right? Um, one of the girls me- mentioned in this book, but not uh spent much time with, is someone named Sylvia. Mm. Uh, I don't remember what was her last name. Do you remember?
3: Um, um no.
0: I'll see no. if I can find it. Um, so I was thinking of a number of. Well, let's see, Sylvia. I can't spell. Sylvia? No, that's not. I'm not finding it. Uh, I don't think I hallucinated it, anyways. However, um, in one of his best short stories that I've read, um, called uh, "Upon the Dull Earth," something very uh-huh. similar happens in this book. Um, his girlfriend slash wife, who is too young for him, Sylvia <laughs> Devorak. It uh, is start. Oh, okay, you found it. Okay, <laughs> Dvorak, right up. Mm. Of course, I was. I had to think about this. So, she's the alternate, right? She's not the press. She's the other one, the other way of looking at the world, right? As opposed to the carty girlfriend, the Dvorak girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Okay, get it? Um, yeah, what's Philip I get can do? Dick do all day? Right. I was only Right. With that. He's on the typewriter, uh, on the keyboard. Right. Okay. So, in upon the dull earth, Sylvia. This. sort of elfin maid who lives in uh oregon um in the woods um with her family um she does a she like gets in touch with magic and ends up being eaten by ghosts that come to drink the blood like uh from a scene in uh, the uh odyssey and um eventually he figures out how to do the ritual and he tries to get her back um this was in a magazine called beyond fantasy which uh it it is a fantasy story he he tries to get her back um but something goes wrong and she has no body to to go into so um she starts inhabiting all the people who are around starting with the, the other family members of her family and then he's, he's frightened by this and gets in the car and starts driving off in one of those scenes where, you know, Philip K. Dick does a car, cross-country trip. A lot of cross-country trips in this book, huh? Um, driving from Idaho to uh, Oregon and Washington and all yeah. that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, he stops at a roadside diner, you know, exhausted from driving, goes inside and everything seems fine. But then Sylvia catches up and the waitress looks like her. Right? And we have that scene again and again in this book where he's, he's looking out the window and he sees her um, in the faces of other people. Uh-huh. And then in the clinic, the girls start looking like her, right? Mm. Or maybe they are her. Um, and eventually, he he freaks out at the diner. He runs back to the car and starts driving off. He sees a kid, a boy on the side of the highway, you know, thumb on a ride. He pulls over, slows down, sees the kid. Kid gets in, it turns into Sylvia. Right? And he freaks out, dr- kicks the kid out of the car, goes into a hotel and hides. I, I'm away from her. I'm away from her. I, I'll never see her again. Looks in the mirror. Her face. <laughs> right? oh. His twin, oh. right? It's like oh. so such a good writing. And that's all in here too, right? Everybody in here in this novel is, is PKD in a certain sense, uh-huh. including uh-huh. his dream girl, right? The idea of, you know, you... When you fall in love, you're falling in love with the idealized version of what you see in them, right? The the drug blinders that come in from the high of being in love <laughs> makes you not see all the things that are going to annoy you later.
1: <laughs> right. And I think he's also talking about all the things that annoy you later as well. Like, you know, yep. when he d- the kind of things that he's saying about press and all of her <laughs> lack of warmth and all these horrible criticisms, you know, of this woman. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, he's like, a
0: monster. Yeah, he's a monster, right? Yeah,
1: I think he's really it's working horrible. out stuff with his marriages and stuff again. And
0: oh yeah, definitely. Hundred
2: percent. I think you've read. Uh,
4: I think it, it, it's important that we uh, treat her as a full character, as well as as well as him. Um, I mean, it's it's important. I think that he only really identifies her uh, when he associates her with her father, or when he mm. asks. Under her uh, her new name, um, uh, under Frauenzimmer and uh, and yeah. under the uh, what was it, Every Woman or yeah, you know, um, and the clinic can't find her, but she's there under her father's name under a Rock. Right,
0: that's there uh, we go with the Freudian again. She, he's she's under a rock.
4: <laughs> yes, quite literally, <laughs> and she doesn't get up.
0: Christine, womankind. Yeah.
4: yeah, that's right, that's right, Christine, womankind, and, and that's and that's you know. I think that's, that's supposed to be, it's one of those great, crazy Philip kid names like Horse Lover Fat, yeah. which you're supposed to oh, yeah. relish for sheer madness, um, but she really is under a rock. And now Lincoln makes a joke about rocks, which is appropriate. Um, when, he, when he meets uh, the father, he's like, you know, you're the rock, you're the foundation of this, which is a, a little Jesus reference, right? Because it's
0: totally Freudian, isn't it? yeah. Oh, yeah.
4: Well, Lincoln is, is, a, is a great character to have because not only are he similar, but Lincoln is a father figure. He's much taller. He's much older. Vastly more powerful, um, and he's sympathetic. So, in some ways, he's kind of the father that uh, that he wants to have, unlike the father that he does have.
3: Right,
1: mm, and it's interesting because there's definitely a few little um, mentions in there about press as a mother figure as well, like to to Lincoln and to the androids.
4: Well, let, let me ask you a question, all of you about this because this thing I'm still puzzling on. Um, why? Why the Civil War? Um, yeah, you know, this this actually mm-hmm. our, our hero asks that question.
0: Is it, Mario, you know, Why are you talking about
4: the Civil War? Well, everyone's obsessed with it.
0: I'm not. I think I think I think that it, it's answered exactly uh, by when it was written. What did What did it say in this book? It said yeah. uh, ten years ago or twenty years ago when uh, maybe it was ten years ago when the uh, when the celebrate the annual celebration happened or the centennial the it's centennial of, yeah. of the civil war nobody nobody in the united states uh got into it it sort of, sort of was a an explosion that didn't happen right and i think that's just philip k dick saying like this is a fascinating era of our history um we don't think of lincoln the way he actually was um what we need to do to bring it to mind is bring it right so this is some bullshit session that he's having with a friend of his in 1961 uh-huh. right saying yeah it's really not you know this tv representation of what was going on there let me tell you about lincoln he's really and this guy Stanton, he's even more interesting right and so it all really gets boiling in inside of him and then he uses it somehow Oh, I
4: can see that let me please Paul, go ahead, go
2: ahead. Yeah, but we've we've seen before in earlier episodes that Phil k Dick will get interested in something and mm-hmm. therefore the novel has to be about that like like the voyages of Captain Drake, for example Yep. get wind up becoming oddly part of a time mm-hmm. travel novel because that's because he'
0: futurity yeah
2: because that's because what he was interested in not because it's organic to the novel just because that's what Phil k dick discovered in the library and decided, okay, I need to put this into a book. So I think he got interested in Stanton and Lincoln, especially Stanton, because Stanton, the Stanton robot is demonstrably better suited and more developed than the Lincoln one. And like, I have to put this, I have to put this in the novel somehow. So if so, back mm. we get a uh, civil war stuff. I mean, it, I mean, he justifies it like, oh yeah, everyone's fascinating with it now, but I think that's just that's just retroactive uh, work on his part. It's Phil K. Dick's interest in Civil War that we're staring at, not anything
0: else. But but the the biggest simulacra in this novel is not Lincoln, right? It's not Stanton. It's actually Priss, and I, I know you could argue with, uh, whether she is, but in "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep," right? She's the she's especially in the movie, right? She's the killer she's the uh, woman who tricks you into thinking she's in love with you right? mm-hmm. for jf sebastian or js as i think it is in the novel <laughs> mm-hmm. um tricked into uh a relationship with a with a our cold robot right a, a, a killer who has a much more sympathetic reason uh in the uh, in the movie i think right uh, there's, this is why it's such a great movie. It almost improves on some of the things that are so good in the in the book, but of course doesn't compete on the some of the other levels. So um, just the fact that she here is so robotic and monstrous in, in her. Here are my feelings. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm,
2: I think maybe monstrous is the right word. Maybe inhuman I think is a yes. better word. M- <laughs> M- M- monstrous I think is a little too pejorative.
0: She's very really well, inhuman. except... Well, what what's explicitly called out in this novel is frankenstein right yes yeah Something we haven't dealt with but this is the creation of life um and unlike the abandonment that happens in frankenstein right the, everybody's kept in the nest here right It's it's yeah. too incestuous a nest It's very incestuous. this is
1: probably um a good time to mention this other thing from andyx book as well is that she mm-hmm. says when he was writing this book um, she thinks it reflects his mood at the time because they were going through a, an abortion at the time and that he was Whoa. really disturbed by it and they couldn't get an illegal ab- abortion either, so they had to like, travel to get an illegal one. So I guess Whoa. he's kind of, yeah, this cold woman who's maybe... He's not
3: cool with it, huh?
1: Yeah, he's not cool with it
3: at all.
0: And There's I, uh, two stories uh, that are at least tied into this, right? One is the pre-persons. Um, and there's another one with this little sluggy babies that are just crawling around on the road. Oh, it's horrible. Mm. Um, anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Continue. I'm so sorry.
1: Who? Who are you talking to? You. Oh, no, that was all. I was just saying. I just, I just pulled it open to, um, to see how much of his life was sort of going into this book at the time, and she mentions that. But, um, just on the side of the page, I just noticed it now as well. She's telling a story about him um, having to kill a big nest of yellow jackets outside their house right before that, so uh-huh. I guess that got <laughs> yeah, that obviously disturbed him as well while all this abortion yeah. stuff was going on
0: yeah. wow, well, a nice biographical connection yeah, hmm. that's really- it's incredible uh, the thing is is right this is if you if if this was your first science fiction story right. You pick up Amazing you say, you know, I'm going to start this science fiction stuff. And you start reading this novel. This thing is nothing like any science fiction novel that's anywhere else published by anybody. Yeah. Nobody does anything yeah. like this, right? Yeah. And it's almost even completely different from most of his stuff because it is so um, everyday. And it's so, so quote
2: your Yeah, That's what I was saying before. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, this is not your typical Flo K. Dick experience. And if you don't like it, you're going to miss out on also yeah. the Phil K. Dick stuff by, if you're turned off by this.
4: I was thinking of uh, Bruce Sterling's idea of slipstream fiction. Mm-hmm, you know, the stuff mm-hmm. that uh, sits in the boundary yeah. between science fiction on the one hand and, and mainstream fiction on the other, and this really feels like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Or, or, or mundane science fiction, I think, is another, is, is another modern take on yeah. that concept. Yeah.
4: yeah it's a t- I, I was just reading a... Um, I just finished. I had to write a review about it, actually. Um a recent novel called uh, American War. Oh, okay. Um, no, American War is uh, 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 near future science fiction about a, a second civil war in the U.S. And uh-huh. it's actually it's actually not. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be about. But it's really a metaphor for the U.S. war in Iraq taking place in U.S. Yeah. U.S. soil. That's the real idea of it. But um, but it's never described as a science fiction novel. No, one markets as a science fiction novel. Uh, no, one talks of it as a science fiction novel. And the science fiction parts of it are relatively minimal. And mm-hmm. as it fails as science fiction in many ways, the world building is pretty flawed until you realize it's just a giant metaphor. Um, right. But that's this. You know, Jesse, you sent us that link to that story, which said that. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm pull it up. Uh, there was uh, this is an experiment by Dick where he describes it as one where he's trying to cross the streams mm-hmm. between the science. fiction and the stream work. Right. And it really feels like it. It yeah. really
0: feels like. It. Yeah. That's. I mean, I. I think this There's, is an important. Apparently, this was his <laughs> last attempt to sell a, to sell a, a mainstream book. As well, and it didn't sell either, right? Something funny in this novel, explicitly called out. Um, he calls it out wrong. I. I tweeted about it. There's a novel called Nanny, or a short story called Nanny. Okay, Dick <laughs> he that. says that. <laughs> it, he says that it was published in Thrilling Wonder Stories, turns out it was in Startling Stories, but <laughs> Startling <laughs> Stories was merged, or Thrilling Wonder was merged in, so he probably sold it to one and forgot <laughs> that is a terrific little short story yeah. about uh, exactly what's going on in here, you know, home home nannies being um, the babysitters taking care of things, and he has a little dialogue about whether the name is public domain or not um, but uh, the twist on that one uh, Philip K. Dick is so clever um, because they're so efficient um, and they're, they're so well made they have to go out after hours after the kids are asleep and uh, meet in the backyards and beat each other to death. <laughs>
3: That's Why? right.
0: Why? Because um, otherwise the models won't get uh, have to be bought again.
1: <laughs> For the new models to replace them?
0: That's right. Like and survival of the fittest. Consumption finished. is not enough. You have to have actual planned. Uh, what, uh, planned what is it? Planned called? obsolescence. Planned obsolescence, right? Wow! Oh, gosh! Oh, <laughs>
4: that's oh. brutal.
3: Oh,
0: okay, okay awesome. Dick!
4: Never change. Got it.
0: This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.